0: Can tech in sports help solve bigger problems?
1: You know, to be able to have interactions and negotiate with a number of uh, foreign ministers and others uh, was a very exciting thing while it was happening, but it also gave me uh, a greater understanding of what makes all of us tick and what's important to people across the board.
0: That's Jim Moore, founder of the Washington Institute for Business, Government, and Society, who believes future success in sports can evolve into future partnerships in many sectors. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. What can we learn from new infrastructure, connectivity, and engagement? Jim Moore's background is in trade agreements for the United States government, and his role in oversight of U.S. commercial operations in American embassies is shaping his new vision. You'll hear more about these ambitious endeavors And also we'll have a visit with Wayne Kimmel, the managing partner of 76 Capital, who's focused stateside on emerging growth sectors like gambling and eSports. But first, the future is not now for this take on replay, which has pros and often a lot of cons. Bad calls, they have been, and even with all the technology, always will be part of the game. Every game, which does beg a question. Can we live with bad calls if we stop trying to find new advances to prevent them? Shane Ryan from Golf Digest joins us now, and your argument, Shane, is bad calls are better than bad technology. And I want to start this conversation by saying you are actually preaching to the choir here.
2: (laughs) Good, good, good to know. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that it kind of all hit me at once over the course of one week earlier this month, or actually in December, that. It's not improving the situation. The technology is making things worse. It's really not preventing bad calls in the first place. It's slowing things down, and I think leading to more and more frustration. So that was really kind of the uh, the foundation of my argument.
0: Now, I think some of it, though, to be fair, some of it does work. Like the Hawkeye for the tennis line calls, it's fast, it's efficient, the players don't claim it's wrong, the crowd seems to like it. So some of this stuff does work, but then even in your sport, like the flap with Patrick Reed a couple of weeks back. I mean, the call wasn't wrong, right? But and yet, it all it did was cause a whole bunch of mayhem.
2: Yeah, no, you make a, a terrific point about tennis. It's one I hadn't thought about. What's kind of funny with me about tennis is that it's not actually video review. So, yeah. So by the by the letter of the law, I can kind of put it in its own category. But no, you're right. The technology really is good there. But yeah, I look at golf as a great example. You mentioned the Patrick Reed thing. Um, he, you know, he was caught red-handed. It, what he did was wrong. But there's also the fact that he was on TV, you know. And so we look back at the 2013 Masters. uh, Tiger Woods was penalized because a viewer called in. So we're looking at a weird situation where the players who are on TV the most now have the best chance of being caught, whereas a lower-profile player sort of has more leeway to do something like Patrick Reed did because the chances that a camera is on him uh, are much less. And so – what Patrick Reed did was wrong and there was justice in the ruling, but there's not a broader overall justice in how this is meted out uh, in golf, for example, um, and who is most subject to it.
0: And then, listen, I, I read your piece and obviously you're a big football fan too, and, and here we are with the NFL playoffs and the college football season is coming down to an end and there was a, a, there was a crazy call in the college football playoff semifinals and football seems to not be able to implement technology in a way that's efficient or equitable in any way to this point
2: yeah you know and the call you're talking about that i wrote about was the uh, the clemson ohio state game there was an interception by or sorry there was a fumble by clemson uh, after a pass that was recovered by ohio state and returned for a touchdown it would have been a really big moment you know it wouldn't have definitely turned the game around but i'm sure ohio state would love to go back <laughs> and see if it had uh, but the point on that is that all this technology we have the fact that we have you know a million camera angles in a game like that, looking at something, it has not enhanced uh, our understanding of the rules, and in fact, it's made it more complicated. Of what is a catch, for example, that's the one that seems to come up the most. And I watched this play live, and, you know, on the field. It was ruled a fumble and a touchdown, and they're supposed to you're supposed to need overwhelming evidence to overturn something. And I watched it a million times, just like everybody else. I don't see how it wasn't a catch. The announcers couldn't explain it. The referees after really didn't explain it to any satisfaction. And so we look at this and say, okay, we can see more now than we ever have before, but is it really helping us or is it making things more complicated? In a situation like that, I think it really makes things worse and it it kind of to this sort of alienation from the game almost and confusion because we don't know what we're looking at and (laughs) it's almost like we can't trust what we're seeing. Uh, And so that's the sort of – what we're reaping from all this technology, and I, I just don't think it's helping most sports. And I, listen, I
0: agree with you in most cases that it's actually altered the game in a way where it's made it more confusing, or altered the rules in a way that don't make logical sense and slows games down. Which in this era is the wrong thing to do in content consumption. So I'm with you on all that, but I don't. How do we roll it back? I, I don't. I mean, the genie's out of the bottle. These things are being used. They're being implemented. And they're being tested and then there they are being in used in real time i I don't know how you roll it back
2: no that's a terrific question and not to get too deep but you could ask that question about technology in our broader society uh you know we're starting to realize that maybe (laughs) all this digitization of modern life and and the internet and, and devices it's maybe not the best thing for us but the ultimate question goes back to just what you asked is how do we how do we undo it and it's really really hard uh, so I, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, in sports, you could argue it's simpler, just get rid of it. But <laughs> there's a lot more, uh, a lot easier for me to say that. And, uh, financially there's a lot more at stake than, uh, than we could get into on one phone call. So you're right that it's a complicated situation. Um, I think the first step is recognizing that it, uh, you know, it's not helping things. It's making things worse. And I think once there's a broad consensus around that, which I do think is growing, uh, then maybe there'll be the popular energy to, to actually do something about it. What that would look like, I think, is something that, yeah, we still have to discover.
0: Yeah, I, I guess, you know, the bottom line is, and, and I've argued this here with some people outside of some of this technology when it comes to training and recovery and all these type of things that have that have, you know, bettered the modern athlete and bettered the team and made things better for, you know, athletes in general. I think that's all positive. What we're talking about here is, is there any value to human error? And it appears that there is. The, the the games were simpler, even with bad calls that were made by humans.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I mean, we could talk about the value of human error, but for me it's really the contrast between, you know, what is the lesser of two evils in some ways. You know, I'm not somebody who's going to romanticize, you know, a, a home plate umpire, for instance, who can't call a ball or a strike and ruins a game because you know, because he gives a huge advantage to the pitcher. That's not something I love, but again, it goes back to between that, between this thing of the you know the foibles of human judgment and, and how difficult it can be sometimes to call these things in real time versus this technology, which I really do think is diminishing our enjoyment of the game and sort of alienating us from the human aspect of the sport, which is the worst thing? And, and that's the question I try to ask myself. And for me, it's hard to reach any conclusion, but the fact that the human error is really preferable to – the uh the onslaught of technology
0: shane ryan writes for golf digest and if you're like me and apparently like him we'd like to see some of this stuff taken out of the game thank you shane
2: thank you very much
0: up next jim moore on how sports tech can be a bridge to cultural understanding this is the future sport podcast Our guest this week is Jim Morris, the founder of the newly launched Washington Institute for Business, Government, and Society. And they're going to be launching their first major sports tech conference in Washington, D.C., the Global Sports Conference, coming up in June 2020. Thanks for being here, Jim.
1: Thank you. Glad to be with
0: you. Uh, What is the goal of the Global Sports Conference?
1: Well, the Institute itself is very much involved in really addressing the intersection of business, government, and society and everything we do really is related to uh, producing results. And so this Global Sports Conference for us is really intended to be able to uh, really focus on the world of sports. Uh, It's the one area where everybody can come together. So long as the rules are fair, we understand uh, what the game is all about. And so it's very exciting, I think, to be able to uh, look at sports uh, from a a different prism. Uh, You know, with Howard Cosell, the the sports commentator of years ago, who once said that uh, human activity is essentially, uh, or or sports is a uh, microcosm of uh, of human activity, and I think that's absolutely true. And so I think this is gonna be a a very different kind of sports conference than we've seen, and hopefully will be very productive.
0: How will it be different?
1: Well, it's gonna be different. First of all, we're going to have, uh, uh, we're gonna be focusing on three areas. We'll be focusing on technology and security, Uh, on corporate responsibility our social responsibility and then also infrastructure and we're going to make sure that we get heavily involved in analytics we want over time and mind this will be the first of a uh... in a series of sports conferences that will be held every two years that will allow us to really figure out how well we're doing in the area of ethics uh... to what extent for example is facial recognition increasing in popularity relative to Uh, taking care of security in stadiums and elsewhere. Uh, What exactly is happening with e-sports in in, in, uh, consideration of uh, how traditional sports have been conducted over time? So we're really gonna be trying to monitor um, how the world of sports is changing um, over time. And we're gonna be having, I think, a terrific uh, group of speakers. Uh, The attendees are effectively going to be the owners of sports teams, Uh, CEOs and other executives from sports manufacturing companies and apparel and equipment. Uh, We're going to have uh, uh, sports ministers from around the world. Uh, And so I think there's a, you know, generally uh, genuine traction that's being created. uh, And we're really looking forward to putting together a group of about 400 people who will uh, participate in the uh, conference.
0: Let's talk about security for a moment. Um, 5G is coming um so where does that kind of fall into the purview of how to keep information safe
1: well that's a that's a real good question we're very much involved in the in the tech uh, industry here at the institute generally and so you know getting into how technology is either enhancing or in some ways inhibiting or even hurting sports is something that we are going to certainly be concentrating on and so we will be bringing together some of uh, the world's great experts uh, in the area of security uh, to uh, be able to answer some of those questions in a, in a, re- in a thoughtful, meaningful way.
0: As for eSports, um, I, I don't know, are you surprised by the rise of eSports? Where are you on what has happened here? Because it's, it's seemingly beyond a phenomenon now.
1: You're absolutely right. I think everybody is surprised by eSports, even those people invested in eSports at the very beginning. Uh, if you look at the financial trajectories of of where esports is uh, is going, uh, there is no question that it is going to be with us for a long time to come. And for anybody who is invested in it uh, at this early stage, there's certainly going to see uh, uh, some significant returns in the process. But uh, but I think there there is you know concerns as to how it's going to develop over time, uh, what kind of uh, uh, of a mystique is it going to play particularly on on younger viewers yeah uh, there are a lot of things about esports that we don't know about, and we're certainly going to be exploring it in the sports conference
0: uh, including what connectivity from young people uh, the ability to Absolutely. connect with one another yeah
1: that's right and and also you know we we for a long time have been concerned about our youth when it comes to uh, they're spending too much time perhaps on the internet uh, uh, being transfixed and in uh, in not having really human connections outside of looking at a computer screen. And so, uh, you know, I think those kinds of things really need to be explored so that uh, we, we know how to be able to deal with it into the future.
0: And in terms of infrastructure, are you talking about new stadiums? Is that, is that where you're going with that?
1: Oh, yes, but, you know, th- there's so much more that's going on in the infrastructure. First of all, you know, we're going to be holding this conference just five weeks before the Tokyo Olympics so often particularly in public-private partnerships and trying to make sure that these major world events are a success, that sometimes there's not really the the thoughtfulness that should have gone into uh, producing infrastructure. For example, there was a huge stadium that was built in Manaus, Brazil, for the the World Cup, and today it's turned into a weed factory, and, uh, you know, that sort of thing happening I, I think is really regrettable in this day and age. Uh, but there are some incredible things that are happening in the area. Qatar, for example, is in the process of building and and putting into play eight stadiums. Well, when the World Cup is over for that small country, three of those stadiums are going to be disassembled. One stadium is going to be sent to a yet unidentified Sub-Saharan African country and rebuilt as a stadium to be able uh, to allow uh, spectators to be able to enjoy that stadium uh, a country that could ill afford building it on its own. There are going to be two other stadiums that will also be sent to uh, sub-Saharan Africa, but rather than being rebuilt as stadiums, they're going to be turned into classrooms, hospitals, um, all sorts of things that uh, in this day and age you literally can take what had been a stadium and turn it into, uh, into other uh, kinds of structures. And so I think that is a, a remarkable thing. And uh, we're certainly, again, going to be exploring
0: that. I mean, that is interesting. Um, There have been a lot of examples of the white elephants that have come through, specifically in Brazil, likely in Russia for the Olympic Games that that took place there. Um, are, Are you seeing a different way that governments and Olympic committees in different jurisdictions are looking at this to try to find some level of sustainability for all the infrastructure that comes with bringing an event like that to their community?
1: Absolutely. I think for... Countries that have put on these these major events, it, it becomes very embarrassing if they've not been able to utilize those uh, uh, those those structures uh, for uh, for their people later on. I mean, quite honestly, when you build massive in- infrastructure and you're putting in a great deal of money, both government as well as the private sector, and you're not utilizing it to the fullest extent after the curtain comes down, after these sports events are over, um, you, you're you're not doing your your people. Uh, uh, much good. And so I think an awful lot of citizens, and we've seen this in Brazil, have shown that they're upset over uh, wasteful construction, uh, obviously corruption in, in certain instances when infrastructure is being, uh, is, is being built and improperly financed. And so there are a lot of those kinds of things, those kinds of questions that need to be asked. And certainly need to be addressed in some form.
0: Um, I haven't gotten to your background yet, which I think is interesting for the purpose of this conversation. Which includes a number of roles in government and stints as the U.S. Assistant Secretary in the Commerce Department. Um, can you talk about that background and how it's helped shape the direction you want to go with this group and, and the event per se?
1: You bet. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to have had a, uh, a career that uh, really started in government, where I worked on Capitol Hill, but also was very much involved in negotiating a number of the agreements that uh, today are, are, you know, being seriously discussed, everything from having been the chief negotiator for what turned out to be the last trade and economic agreement with the Soviet Union to being involved in the launching of the Uruguay Round, which created the, um, uh, the World Trade Organization. Uh, I was even president at the creation in, uh, in uh, NAFTA. And so, uh, you know, to be able to have interactions and negotiate with a number of uh, foreign ministers and others uh, was a very exciting thing while it was happening, but it also gave me uh, a greater understanding of what makes all of us tick and what's important to people across the board. And so to be able to really turn to sports here at the Institute is one of our uh, projects in our portfolio, to be able to somehow uh, you know, put our arms around something that we all can understand, we can get used to, and and we can uh, engage in, uh, I I think is a a very positive thing. Sports really can bring people together rather than split them apart.
0: And we are heading into an incredible year with the Olympics and the election. What a year 2020 is going to be.
1: You bet. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: Uh, Jim Moore is the founder of the Washington Institute for Business, Government, and Society, and their global sports conference is going to take place in summer 2020 in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Jim.
1: Thank you, Bram.
0: Up next, Wayne Kimmel, Managing Director at 76 Capital on the investment and growth potential of esports and gambling in the U.S. This is the Future Sport Podcast. take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like TeamBuilder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy, but they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen, At advance you will. That's the number 3advance.com, and tell them Future Sport sent you. Our guest this week is Wayne Kimmel, who's the managing partner of 76 Capital, which is a venture capital company in the sports tech space, as well as an emerging partner for talent representation. Hey, Wayne, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Bram. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, in the description of the company, you mentioned that you invest in smart and nice entrepreneurs. And I've got to be honest, I've never heard a VC firm actually mention being nice as a qualification before.
3: Well, at 76 Capital, we're all about making sure that we work with the right kinds of people. Um, and, you know, as a, as a startup venture capitalist, especially in the sports space, these companies, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't just go public within 24 hours, within even 24 months. And you have to spend a lot of time and work with the entrepreneurs. And we wanna make sure that we find the right kinds of people that wanna do really big and exciting things. And uh, they wanna make sure the right kinds of people that we wanna spend time with, because we're gonna be spending a lot of time with them and helping them really build their companies.
0: And as for their companies, what are you looking for? What, What interests you?
3: Well, here at 76 Capital, we're all about companies in the sports tech industry. Companies that are in the sports betting industry, and as well as the esports industry, you know, we really believe that there's opportunities to totally transform all three of those different industries within the sports uh, world today.
0: Let's start with esports. Um, where has the growth been, and where do you see that space going?
3: Well, we're super excited in esports around the amateur side of the industry. You know with 153 plus colleges and universities that are offering scholarships today where do young people go to really show off and their skills in the esports industry and we believe there's an opportunity to build the amateur infrastructure and be part of the growth of that because you know, you, you think about every other sport out there there's little league there's you move into to you know babe ruth you then move into your high school league you have the aau or perfect game that sort of um roadmap is not there yet in the esports space and so we're invested in a company called nerd street gamers that's opening these local host arenas all across the country and we believe that we're going to be part of the the overall growth of that amateur side of the industry so we're excited about that side of the industry we're excited about brands coming into the industry we're excited about some of the partners that we have at Nerd Street, having Comcast as a partner, having now five below. And we're gonna now be building out over seventy esports facilities in five below retail stores. Huh. Five below is a is, is a retailer that has nine hundred stores across the US. And inside of their stores they will be putting esports facilities. And because you know, the consumer, the, the person that goes into those stores are the kids. And what do kids do, as my mom says a game Yeah. That's what they're all about.
0: Yeah, for those who don't know, Five Below, I have kids. So Five Below is a store where everything is literally $5 or below, so it is uh, an inexpensive shopping experience. What, what does that look like? What what is the is multiple seats? Is it a, almost like in a a small arena inside the store? What does that look like?
3: Well, it's going to look like it's going to be, you know, we're we're actually doing some really cool designs right now. Um, but basically, there will be the regular store, and then right next door, in about 2,000 square feet, there will be um, high-end computers, high-speed internet, consoles, and places for people to come in and play. You'll be able to have; there'll be there'll be everything from training inside of the stores. Um, if you're interested in that, you'll be there. Also, be leagues and tournaments that will occur in the stores as well.
0: You had mentioned um, the pipeline to potential scholarships. Are are you looking at becoming like, or is the group you're working with looking at becoming like a recruiting service?
3: Well, we want to be in a sense, we want to be able to allow eSports players to showcase their skills. You know, you just can't play in your mom and dad's basement or your bedroom and just then be able to perform on a on a stage with people yelling and screaming and cheering. It's very similar, you know, back in the day I could make, you know, maybe nine or ten out of ten foul shots in a very quiet gym. But then when people are yelling and screaming, you know, it's a whole different game. And it's a similar kind of a situation with esports. You know, eSports, a lot of people train and play by themselves. But if you're playing, you got to play on, be able to play on a stage with fans. And I, we think that that's what we're being able to build out right now, where there's actually an opportunity to, to really play in front of other people and have that kind of experience that you have with traditional sports on, in gyms and on, in stadiums and on, on, on fields with fans. We think it's really important to do that, especially because of what's happening from a, uh, collegiate perspective where you're at, you have the opportunity to get scholarships and once you go to one of these play on one of these college teams you're going to be playing on a stage and the teams want that uh, people to see if they can they can handle it
0: and so you all will become something like an AAU of esports
3: well you know whether it's 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 becoming that organization or we're or, or literally creating that kind of tournament. So with Nerd Street Gamers they have something called the National Championship Series where we're you know this year in in 2019 we are going to be crowning champions in 10 different games uh, at three different levels uh, across the across this National Championship Series. Uh, we're going to be even expanding that even more in 2020. And we're excited about that. So we're going to be we're creating tournaments, uh, working with brands in that situation as well. So um, groups like Mike and Ikes uh, will be one of the big sponsors for, with us um, in the, the tournaments that we do from the national championships perspective. So it's, it, you know, it, it could be you know, in the future could look more like an, an AAU or it could be just a whole new way of, of, of featuring talent. Um, and, and, and sharing you know, all the great players that are out there that want to become you know, college players and hopefully potentially even professional players in the future.
0: Um, let's, let's get into gambling here a little bit. Um, it, it still feels very Wild West with who's legalized it, who has not legalized it, all the different rules of the jur- different jurisdictions. So what are you looking at currently? And then we'll expand upon maybe what you're looking at five, ten years down the road when this is more commonplace and unified around the country
3: well we're super excited about what's happening with the sports betting industry i mean the the way that um now in right before thanksgiving of 2019 we have 13 states that have live sports betting we have six states that have laws that have been passed and they're not live yet we have two other areas like dc and puerto rico that have passed laws and that could also go live soon It's it's a super exciting time. We see opportunities in being able to collect data on the courts and on the field and use that data from a data analytics perspective to create new and exciting um, fan experiences and betting opportunities. Uh, We see things right now from a media perspective, creating new kinds of media um, in and around sports betting. You see... The traditional networks now talking about lines like they've never talked about that before. You have specific stations and networks like Veasan, which we're an investor in, which was started by Brent Musburger, where we're talking the numbers behind the games all the time, um, and really creating the what we like to call the CNBC of sports betting. You know, you sort that's something that we is something that's it's really exciting to see how that's playing out today. Um, you've got the, um, you know, the opportunity to also make sure that the games are being played and there's true integrity on the fields. So we've we create we've also helped create a company called U.S. Integrity, which we're an investor in and working with them, with leagues, with universities and colleges, as well as um, um, the the, you know, the. The major conferences, you know, helping them figure out, you know, making sure that there's a true, trusted third-party source for all information that's happening in the betting world. So there's a lot of really exciting things happening in the industry now. Um, we're we're excited about this from a from a consumer perspective, but also from a business to business perspective. There's incredible opportunities, and we believe that the entrepreneurial companies will either be acquired by some of the really big players in this industry or become one of the big yeah. players in this industry. So we're excited about the whole industry as a, as a,
0: as a whole right now. Yeah, I VEASAN got ahead of it um, and and wisely did that. And now we'll see as they continue to expand what they end up with. I, I am curious from a broadcaster's perspective, because I look at this and I'm following specifically all the new shows and networks like Vison that were created. Um, do you believe that the interest in this type of media is exaggerated at all? What have you seen so far in terms of, real true interest in all of this type of content that's coming out here
3: well i don't think it's exaggerated i think what's it's been really interesting what's happened with the sports um, betting media landscape is that people are craving for this information you know they, they crave for this information there's more people that have sort of come out from the shadows um, are now who have basically been only discussing their bets with their bookies <laughs> or doing things offshore now, are more comfortable talking with anybody about it. Um, I noticed that actually at a cocktail party over the weekend. I had, I was talking with someone I had had no idea like sports, and all he wanted to do was talk to me about how much he loves Visa and that he just hates getting out of his car because he listens to Sirius XM Channel Two Hundred Four, our our, when we're, our our channel on on Sirius XM. For VEASAN, he's like, I hate getting out of the car because it's my favorite channel in the world to listen to. And I had no idea this guy even likes sports, no less betting on sports. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's not exaggerated. I think there's, a lot, there's, there's so much um, opportunity. You had an industry that was a small cottage industry in Nevada, and now as it's rolling out all over the country, uh, it's becoming you know, a multi, multi-billion dollar business. And uh, we're really excited about the the prospects here.
0: Uh, what other tech spaces are you guys interested in?
3: So we are really also interested in what's happening sp- around the tra- around traditional sports and how technology is being integrated into those sports. So as an example, tonight um, it's November twenty fifth, right? I mean, and we've got. The Hall of Fame Classic going on in Kansas City tonight, where you have teams like Stanford and Oklahoma and Butler are playing um, college basketball tonight, and they're going to have be using our shot tracker basketball. So there'll be a sensor in the ball, there'll be a sensor in the jerseys of the players, and sensors are in the arena in Kansas City. And you we'll we will be tracking over 110 movements a second that each player makes. That data gets analyzed and that data gets crunched in you know, um, real time and will show up on the iPads that the coaches will have on the benches as well as that information will be sent to the broadcasters. So the broadcasters will have new interesting data on what's happening out there. You'll know what, what best five to match up with the, with the other five that's out there on the court and the assistants and the coaches on the bench will have this data on their iPads um like never before it's really exciting to see how this is playing out in the future this tech could very easily be translated into being having and also this data being sent to the bookmakers to make even more interesting real-time uh, bets for um for gamblers in the future so we're excited about this we're excited about what's happening in that world and then also from a, from a sports tech perspective We also have a really exciting baseball technology company called Diamond Kinetics, which is working throughout from little leagues, you know, from the very, very, you know, young amateur baseball players all the way up through AAA baseball, uh, where we were able to, you know, track everything from by having a sensor in the bat as well as a sensor in a ball to be able to track, you know, how the velocity, the spin rate. Uh, the, the, the speed of the, of, of the swing, the exit velocity, all the things that you want to know uh, on the baseball field, using that technology and having it just integrated into the game, not really making a big deal out of it, and not having, you know, um, is, is something that we're able to do. Um, and it's exciting to see how technology and the physical sports. Are, are really coming together and, and merging today.
0: Yeah, it, it is wild. Wayne Kimmel is the managing partner of 76 Capital. Thanks for joining us, Wayne.
3: Graham, thanks so much.
0: That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Graham Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by three advanced developers of sports tech apps that are AI powered and UX focused